Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. We've been in a series we started last week called I Love My Church. So let's say this all together with all the passion that you got, all the excitement that you got. Let me hear you say, I love my church. That was pretty good for a normal day, but this is Sunday, the day the Lord has made. Let's try it one more time. Put a little stank in there this time, a little, little attitude. Say, I love my church. Come on, y'all sound good. I'm so glad that we can get a little rowdy. Um, you know, I never wanted to uh, lead a boring church. <laughs> I never wanted to lead a passionless church, you know. I always wanted to lead a church that was full of passion because God is full of passion. I always wanted to lead a church that was a little rowdy, a little bit loud, not afraid to be bold. Come on, that's who we are. That's who we're going to be. Um, you know, uh, we exist at Victory to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose. That's why victory is here. And so I hope today uh, you experience the power of God in your life. Um, there's something about being in his presence that just changes everything. And so today as we're gathering in his presence, I hope you experience that. And I hope this is true for you. I hope I didn't make you lie a minute ago when we all said I love my church. <laughs> I hope you do. I hope you love your church. And um, if you don't have a home church, just know this is your personal invitation to be part of what I believe. Uh, my biased opinion is that this is the best church in all of Central Florida. And... Um, it's got the best people in it. Uh, if you don't have a home church, I just invite you, like, take whatever time you need, ask the questions, kick the tires, all that kind of stuff, figure it out. But, um, you know, I believe everybody should have that my church experience. I don't say this is my church because I'm the pastor. I say this is my church because this is where I decided to plant my family, to plant my life, to be connected. This is where I've decided to uh, bring my tithes and offerings, which to give to God through his church. This is where I've decided to serve and allow my gifts and my talents to be used, right? This is where I planted my life, so that's why I say this is my church. And my prayer is that it would be the same for you, that you would be able to say this is my church because I planted my life here, I've rooted my family, I use my gifts, I serve, I love, I I give and I'm growing in this house. That's why we say I love my church. Everyone needs that. You know, it, it's that place when we're planted where fruitfulness can take place. Without being planted, there can't be fruitfulness. Um, and so we talked about being planted in the house of God last week. If you missed it, it's on our podcast and all that that's available to you. Um, you know, so, so many times people come and they just kind of like, they, they want to be a part, but they never really make that jump to the, this is my place. Like, I'm all in, you know. Um, and I just I had this funny thought this week as I was preparing this message. You know, how weird would it be, you know, if you got together? Thanksgiving is coming up not too long ago. Anybody excited about eating turkey? Okay, it's a little early, too soon. I got it. But imagine you're at Thanksgiving dinner, your family's all gathered around, aunts, uncles, nephews, all that kind of stuff, whatever your family looks like, all gathered around the table, the turkey's ready. Can you smell it? It smells amazing. The potatoes and that gravy, praise him. And, you know, maybe sweet potatoes or green beans, cornbread. I don't know what you like, cranberry sauce, anybody? Okay, 
it's too soon. Well, I already have the illustration, so I'm going with it. You're sitting around the table. Everybody, we're going to say grace. We pray, and then it's time to start eating. How weird would it be in that moment if you just look around and everybody, your aunts, your uncles, mom, dad, be like, I just love your family. You guys are awesome. Just the way you guys get together and celebrate. Your, your aunts and uncles, your brothers and sisters would be looking at you so weird. They'd be like, what's wrong with you? You know this is your family too. You know, and sometimes we come to the house of God that way. We're like, oh, great for those church people. It's so good for victory. I love my church. That, that's great for your sake. But listen, this isn't for my sake. This isn't for victory's sake. Like this is for you. Like getting to the place like you belong. You belong here. All right, I got three people in the front row that believe that. There is a place for you here. And so that's why I say I hope you get to the place where you can say, like, this is my family. This is where I belong. I have a seat at the table. And, and so today I want to share this word called bodybuilders. Let me hear you say bodybuilders. Anybody a bodybuilder in the room? Anybody? Uh, I saw one hand back there, and I know who it is. Come on. I know who it is. Uh, Bodybuilders, anybody work out a lot? Let's lower, the, let's lower the bar a little bit. Anybody like to work out all the time? Okay, a few more hands on that one. Same hand on the bodybuilder. That's good. <laughs> uh, I, I'm in the crowd. I know many people like to work out all the time. They're always posting their pictures at the gym, you know, and all that. That's great. I love it. Um, I'm in the crowd where it's like I like the idea of working out. That's where I find myself. I know I need to work out. That's the group I'm in. And even if I start to try to work out more regularly, then it's like the first thing off my schedule is working out. That's the group I find myself in. Anybody in that group? Okay, a few more hands on that one. Thank you for being honest with me this morning. You know, um, the interesting thing is why do people work out? Why do we go to the gym? Why do we, why do, we do that? Well, we're trying to improve or, or better or strengthen the body that God has given us. I know we all have different uh, genetics and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. It's all mixed in there. And, and please, before you do any kind of diet or, or workout, please talk to your doctor, right? But we go to the gym. We work out. We lift weights, right, because we want more muscles. We want to have the six-pack abs. Let's go. We want to be ripped and looking fine when we go out, you know. Like, we want to improve this body that God has given us. And sometimes I think, while that's great and good and being a good steward of our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get more uh, we put more emphasis on making this body better rather than building up the body of Christ, which is actually what we are called to do as believers in Jesus. And so I want to talk today about bodybuilders, not in the sense of strengthening and getting a workout regimen for you, but being a bodybuilder in the body of Christ. Like we are called to build one another up. And the, the, the reality is you're either... You're, you're in one of two parties when it comes to being a bodybuilder in church is that you're either building up people, you're either building up the body of Christ or you're creating division. You're either tearing people down or, or, or spreading, uh, spreading division in the church. You're, you're one or the other according to what scripture talks about. And so I want to look at this today. How can we be bodybuilders of Christ? How can we build up the church and the people in it. Um, you know, the reality is I can, I can keep my life in that arena where I want to work out. I, I know I should. And, and someday I'll have those six-pack abs. I can have all of the, you know, I want to have more muscles and, and be, be more ripped and whatever. And as long as I just leave it in that space, I will never have it. 
As long as I never actually get the weights out and do it on a daily, on a regular basis, as long as I uh, am always just sitting back looking at something, then I'll never get to that place. You know how somebody gets to be in better physical shape and get more muscles? Well, it's through sweat. It's through going to the gym. It's through going through some pain. It's through pushing through the thing. It's about getting in an uncomfortable place long enough until my body begins to change. And it's the same in our spiritual life. If we are going to be strengthened in our spirit and become a bodybuilder in Christ, then we're going to have to actually get involved and begin the work of lifting some weight spiritually, of pushing through some difficult seasons, of, of having some hard work done so that there can be a change in us. Otherwise, we just have wishful thinking. And so I want to talk about this today. How do we grow spiritually to where we can be a bodybuilder in the church? If you've got your Bibles, anybody brought your Bible with you to church? All right, three people. Come on, let's, if you've got your Bible, we can make a little bit of noise um, bringing your Bible with you. Maybe you've got the free YouVersion Bible app on your phone or your tablet. That's great, too. I see a few of those screens. And, if, you know, when I see the beautiful glow on your face, I'm going to pretend it's the Bible and not Facebook. But this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says this, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but it all forms one body, so it is with Christ. Uh, another translation, he says, so it is with the body of Christ, or the church. All throughout scripture, uh, where the church is referred to as the body of Christ. Some places it's referred to as the bride of Christ, or the army of God, the church that is advancing, pushing back darkness. But here... He's referring the church to a physical body. Um, so how, you know, interesting thought. How can we be the body of Christ if we're not allowing Christ to put us together? If we're not allowing Christ to bring us into his church and we want to be just Jesus and me and I don't need the church and I'm just going to hang out over here. and I'll, No, it says that he puts all of us together in his body. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form our own opinions. Y'all going to let me get away with things? No, come on now. No, he says we are all baptized in one spirit as to form our own way of doing things because we know best. No, he says he brought us baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, can we add a few things, male or female, whatever skin color, red, yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. Come on, whatever our background or where we've been, slave or free, he says, we were all given the same spirit to drink of. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Uh, in case you didn't know, you have one nose. You can put your finger on it if you want. You've got one nose. How weird would it be if instead of eyes, instead of your mouth, instead of your ears, you just had a nose in those places? <laughs> no eyebrows, no eyelashes, no goatee or mustache guys, no beard, just noses everywhere. That, <laughs> that would we be weird. And uh, spoiler alert, if your neighbor is looking at you weird right now, it's because they just pictured you with noses all over. <laughs> that would be a weird, weird thing. That's just, that's just strange, you know, like noses everywhere. Um, but see, this is why God created each one of us in a unique and different way. No two of us are the same. I mean, down to our fingerprints and our DNA, all throughout history, none of us are the same. God created us perfectly, beautifully, uniquely. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't mess up. He didn't put you in the wrong period of time. He put you in this period of time in East Orlando so that you can make a difference for his glory. Come on, you are created on purpose. You have purpose. But while each of us 
are called to, you know, we're called to do the same thing. We're called to make a difference in this world. We, are, we have specific talents and abilities. We have specific anointing in different arenas. Some people are called into the business arena, and they're extremely gifted in that. Some people are called into the area where they, they can serve in the music realm, right? But not all of us can sing on the microphone, and that's probably good. You know, if you've ever watched American Idol or something, be like, how weird would it be on a Sunday if everybody came and be like, I'll be the drummer today. I don't want to do anything else. All of us in this room are the drummer. Well, there wouldn't be much music. And who would be teaching the kids Jesus on their level? If all of us just wanted to be the ones to serve the coffee, then who would be here setting up and tearing down? If all of us just wanted to be behind the scenes, then who would be out in the front shaking hands and helping people feel welcomed in the house? We are all created differently, gifted differently, anointed differently, called into different arenas to make a difference for the, the name of Christ, but we are all belong together. We fit together better. You know, if you were to cut your nose off and set it on its side and keep it separate from your body, your nose wouldn't work anymore. And your body would have a serious problem. You'd be bleeding out because you just cut it off, and then you wouldn't, your nose is actually the filter that goes to your, no, your throat and your ears, and so then just any contaminant would easily come into your body. And yet so many people have decided they're going to cut themselves off from the place that God created to give them life. That's why we say we are better together. Let's say it all together. Say we're better together. We truly believe it because we can't do this alone. You know, I can only do so much. You can only do so much. But then when we come together, man, there is exponential power in this. That's why I say, like, you, you need to know what your giftings are. It's, it's easy sometimes to see our talents and abilities because those are the things we like to polish up, right? We like everyone to see how talented we are, how good we are, how, how good our life is together. But sometimes then our spiritual giftings and our callings just get pushed to the side because not everybody always sees those things as evidently. But if you don't know your spiritual giftings, that's why we have next steps. If, you know, if someone were to walk up to you after a service today, um, like myself, and say, hey, what are your spiritual giftings? It'd be like, like, don't be caught like a deer in headlights. We just want to create a pathway for you to be able to know those things. Why? So that you can operate in them. So that God can begin to bring purpose to every single part of you that he put in you already. So if you don't know, I encourage you, just get involved in Next Steps. It'll be awesome. It happens the first three Sundays of every month. So if you missed it this month, you can be a part of it next week. We aren't all noses, and I'm glad we're called into different areas. But I think what would be equally as bad as if all of us were noses, it's, it's equally a problem if I have all the parts of my body, but none of it wants to work. How crazy would it be if my nose was just like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not smelling another thing. <laughs> How weird would it be if your eyes were like, I'm out. I don't want to look anymore. Or your ears were like, I'm done. I don't want to listen to anything. Like, that's a problem to have all the parts. But just be sitting around. Just be dormant. Come on, God hasn't called us to be a dormant, sitting on the sidelines church. We're called to be a church in motion, a church in action. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Like, take the light where it is dim. We're called to be together. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, 8. He said, we have different gifts. And I love the certainty of that. It's not like you might have gifts. You could have gifts. 
you know, he didn't say only the really spiritual elite have gifts. No, he said, we all have gifts. You have them. It's a certainty. God has given you spiritual gifts. He said he's given us gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Listen, we all have a pivotal role to play in the body of Christ. That's why I always say this is not a spectator event. Church is not something we attend. It's a place we belong. It's a place we invest. It's a place we're a part of. It's a place we make a difference. It's a place we build each other up. It's a place we refuse to tear people down. It's a place where we unite behind vision. It's a place where we refuse and fight against division. Division is where the vision gets separated, right? Where imagine if, if, your, if your eyes, you know, they work together, but all of a sudden they decided your left eye said, I'm only going to look to the left, and your right eye said, I'm only going to look over there. You're going to run into a lot of things. <laughs> Like, we got to have vision, not division. Like, and here he's saying he's called us together in this interactive experience to build each other up, to be bodybuilders. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, says it this way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Now, I could take this and preach that verse all day. But just one question. In your life... In your family, in your church, are you making every effort to keep the spirit of unity? Every effort, he says. He didn't say every effort when you're right. Every effort when you, you, want, you know, you want to prove your, no, he just said every effort to keep the spirit of unity. He says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And to each one of us has been given as Christ as a portion. So there we see it again. We're part of one body. Even as we, you know, are, look at other churches, other churches, we're not competing against other churches here at Victory. I can't speak for other places, but I can speak for us here. Like, we love the churches in our city. We celebrate and pray for and want to encourage and build up the other churches in our city because we recognize that of the nearly two and a half million people in our city, we're going to need some help to reach people for Jesus. We're not trying to build our little kingdom here. We're trying to build the kingdom of God. We're trying to plunder hell and populate heaven. And so we are for each other, not against each other. We are one body. It's his body. And in that body, we have different assignments and callings. And then in verse 11, Ephesians 4:11, if you skip down, he begins to kind of break down what some of the callings are in the church. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now this, this is what is called the fivefold ministry. It's kind of a, a Bible or Christian term, and people use it a lot of times, the five-fold ministry. This is where we get that definition, and what it is is just these five areas of specific calling, apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers, right? God calls people into those specific realms, and he does that because he's putting structure or leadership into his church. 
right? He wanted his church to be organized. Another place in Scripture says, do everything you do, do it decently and in order. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order and detail. And so he put leadership structure into the church so that we would be able to function and operate and be effective in what he called us to do. And why would God do this? Why would God put leadership in our lives? We know God speaks to us directly. Amen. We can be praying and you can hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. God speaks to us through his word when we're reading his word. But God also puts leaders in his life that are called in these areas to then speak into your life. That's part of my calling as a pastor is to speak what God is speaking to me into this church, into your life. And so, you know, like that's why I'm just so thankful that you would allow me to occupy the space in your life and to be your pastor, to love and pray for you and to speak the word of God to you. Like it is the joy of my life to be able to serve in this. So thank you for allowing me in this space in your life. But why would God call people into these places? Why would, why would God go to this length to put this kind of structure into his church? Well, he tells us as the verse continues, he gives us the fivefold ministry. He says to equip his people. Come on, that's a place to be excited. God wants you to be equipped he doesn't want to just call you and say, yeah, go into all the world, but not train you, but not equip you, not give you what you need. No, he says, he, says he, he gives a structure and leadership and authority in our life to equip people for works of service. So you're not supposed to just like be equipped for nothing just so you can look, look nice and sit on the bench and be extra spiritual. No, he wants to equip you and fill you and anoint you and call you and position you and give you favor so that you can go and do works of service so that the body of Christ would be built up. Do you see it? He's called us to be a bodybuilder. He's called us to take our gifts and our abilities and our talents and invest it into one another to build people up. Let me say it this way. You can never exhaust your potential by helping build someone else up. He wants to equip us so that the body of Christ will be built up. He says, until we reach, here's our word, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and will become mature, attaining the whole measure of Christ. Apparently, as a church, if we want to experience the fullness of God, first we've got to make every effort to keep unity, right? He says we've got to reach unity. Skip down to verse 16. He says, from him, that is Christ, the whole body is joined together, held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Come on. So how is the body of Christ going to be built up? I would say it this way. Unity will cause the body of Christ to work together so that the love of God is produced. And the love of God is the motivation for everything that we do. So without unity in our homes, unity in our families, unity in our church, it's going to be real hard to be motivated by the love of God. But when we come together in unity, man, it produces the love of God, which then motivates us to do everything that we do. And I know sometimes it's easier to love people uh, that, you know, that we see on Facebook <laughs> or love the acquaintance. You know, It's easier sometimes to love people at a distance because you're not really close to them. You don't really see the mess of their life. You don't really feel what's going on. And you can just be like, Jesus loves you from over there, you know. And I know probably some person just came into your mind. Just pray for them, you know. See, <laughs> when we're rightly related together in church, there's sometimes going to be friction. There's sometimes going to be sparks. There's going to be a mess sometimes. Why? Because it's people. Listen, people are going to fail. 
People are going to mess up. I might fail you sometime. I'm not going to try, but I'm just a person. And like, so that's why I say, like, we don't come here looking for perfect people. Like, we come here to seek Jesus, the only one who is perfect. And we're just doing our best every day. I want to, like, hashtag better at 80. Hashtag I want to be more like Jesus at 85. You know, like, every day I'm just doing what I can do to grow to be more like him. That's, that's what we're doing. But that means there's going to be friction sometimes. There's going to be a mess. And that's a good thing. Because without friction, without tension, without some effort, you know, when you're lifting weights, you know, you can lift a light weight. But until your arm starts to burn, there's no muscle being built. So if all you have is just good feelings and there's never friction and never tension, you just plastic. It's just fake. It's just surface. You got to get into some mess. You got to dig down below the surface. You got to start to have some tension to push past some difficult places so that some growth, some maturity, hashtag adulting, some things can begin to come out of you that are deeper than just a smile on your face. We gotta, we gotta realize scripture says that, that we will be sharpened by one another. When you sharpen something, you're pressing the metal against the stone and it's rubbing and it's difficult and it's painful. Uh, that's the process for growth. Healthy things grow. Healthy things, they're, they're, there's tension. And I don't know if you've ever driven by a construction site. I mean, you live in Orlando, you probably have. Seen it on the roads, uh, maybe in the, uh, they're building a building. What's interesting about a construction site is long before it ever looks beautiful, long before the building is built and people can go inside, long before you can drive on a bump-free road, there is a huge mess. You know, they're like digging up stuff. Dirt is flying everywhere. There's heavy machinery. There's, they're making you drive out of your way. It's backing up traffic, and it's just terrible. And, and, and that's the construction process where things are being done underground that you can't really see, and then they start building things up and all that. All that's taking place to create this beautiful road or this beautiful building that one day is there, and people can go in and experience the benefits thereof that place. But without the mess, without the without the, uh, the, the, all that to, it took to get it there, it wouldn't have happened. And it's the same with people. In order for us to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose, it's going to be a little messy. There's going to be some dirt, right? Because people are everywhere. And, you know, so, so I just, that's why I say, like, if somebody comes in sometimes and they don't look like you, it's okay. They're in the right place. And if somebody comes in and it smells like they were in the club last night, praise God, you are welcome here. And so, you know, if anybody ever gives you the stink eye, you just, you just smile back at them, love them, and then you let me know, you know. <laughs> like, we're not going to be alarmed or surprised when there's a mess. We're going to lean into those places because the reality is the devil would like to get you in a place of disunity when there's friction, when there's tension, and actually he wants to pull us away from the very thing that God gave us intended to be a place where healing could flow, the church. If we would lean into those places when there's friction and tension, then growth can take place. Without that, when we pull away, then we just are stuck in the rut and repeating cycle after cycle of the same place where we've been. We want growth. We've got to lean into places. We cannot afford to find more encouragement in the world and all it has and, and hatred in the church and then wonder why people don't want to know Jesus. We cannot, as Christians, afford to tear one another down, talk bad about one another, gossip about one another, and then expect the world to be, want to be part of what God is doing. 
We've got to be unified. We've got to let our roots grow deep and, and work through all of those things, realizing that our decisions, our actions, our words towards each other, listen, they matter. You know, unless all you care about is you. Then it doesn't matter so much. In this house, come on, we love each other. We're better together. So we're careful with our words. We're careful with our thoughts. One of our leadership behavioral values is unity. We say we protect the vision of Victory Orlando Church. And we, one of the ways we define it is we think the best in each other even when we don't understand. So I just, you know, I, I, I think the best of you. And why don't you just look at somebody sitting beside you and tell them, I think the best of you. Man, our world would be a different place if we'd begin to think the best of each other. The church is going to be built up through the spirit of unity. So I want to take this word unity today and just kind of break it down and look at it. I want to give us an acronym to help us to grow in unity. You know, unity is, is not something we do out of obligation. Uh, unity is not something we just do by default. Uh, unity is something that we have to work incredibly hard to protect. Scripture says make every effort to keep the spirit of unity. Unity is our privilege to be united together. It's something we work to maintain. Unity is not conformity. It's not losing our voice. No, unity is coming together. It's, a, it, it's not even saying we agree on every detail. Unity is the attitude and the motivation inside of me that says we can come together united behind what Christ has called us to do. Right? It, speaks, it speaks to the heart and our attitude. So I want to look at this word unity. Here's the first one, the letter U. What is unity? Well, if we're going to have a spirit of unity, we need to develop an unoffendable heart. Oh, I came ready to preach today. Y'all ready? Come on. An unoffendable heart. If you want to make every effort to be a defender of unity, you are going to have to develop an unoffendable heart. We just live in a world that is full of offense and full of opportunities to be offended. And let me just say this. Because an opportunity comes at you to be offended, it does not mean you're instantly offended. We have the choice to pick up that offense. And I just find that offense more often than not tries to come in like uh, sneaky in the small, little, unnoticed things. Like when I'm driving in traffic, it happened to me the other day. And I, I was in, there was one turn lane to turn right and I am in the process of turning and this guy in the through lane comes and speeds around me and turns in front of me. <laughs> and he, Anybody else, like in that moment, you're like, what are you doing? And I just, I could feel it in that moment because I've been, you know, I've been pre preparing and praying on this message and I could feel that little bit of offense towards that person coming up in my heart. It's in the little unnoticed things and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He'll come in those still small moments and be like, hey, there's a fence here, be careful. And I had to pray in that moment as I was driving, Lord, my first response is I wanted to pray for him, you know. <laughs> and if that's where you are, that's okay. Start there. But we're going to keep moving towards where instead of just instantly like praying hellfire and brimstone, like, Lord, help my heart right now because, because I want to let him know, you know. We got to develop an unoffendable heart. We got to be on high alert. High alert for offense, right? Proverbs 18, 19 says it this way. A brother wronged or offended is more unyielding than a fortified city. And we don't have fortified cities these days, but they used to build up walls that were 
like feet thick, like thick walls and encircle the city. And if you lived inside of the wall, you were safe. But outside of the wall, you weren't safe because an army would try to come and it would be very difficult to break down the walls. A brother wronged, someone offended, is more unyielding, harder to, to restore than a fortified city. Disputes, arguments are like barred gates of a citadel. Another scripture says, where there's strife and envy, there's every evil thing. Where do you think strife is related to? Offense. Because offense comes in and it comes in small. It wants to come and sneak in, but it never stays small. It begins to grow. Then the next opportunity that comes to be offended is a little different, a little bigger, and it feels a little more. It gets a little stronger. And then we really see offense really brings us to the plate where we want to hurt the other person. It's offense. Where we want to get back, get even, get, you know, what that is offense. And then in that place of offense, it's easy for strife, for anger to just kind of slip in. And then we don't even realize. And then we blow up. And we're like, where did that even come from? Well, we've been holding on to this offense and it's grown into bitterness and hatred inside of our hearts. We've got to be careful. And it's so funny, you know, um, when you go to Target, almost nobody is offended at Target. <laughs> If you go to Starbucks and they make your drink wrong, you know, prob most people are like, oh, I'm just not coming to this one. I'll try a different Starbucks. But we're not offended at Starbucks. But isn't it so funny when we come to church, when we get connected with other believers, how easy it is to be offended? Well, they didn't hug me today. And so they just don't know Jesus or, you know, or whatever it is. It's just so funny how the devil likes to be to work that way. As much as there is opportunities to be offended, there's even more opportunities to extend grace, to love people, to choose forgiveness. And that's what we do in this house. Unity is a privilege, and here we choose unity. We choose to honor one another. Offense will try to disguise itself in, in frustration. You know, in, in the, especially when we don't want to deal with frustration and be like, somebody's like, uh, have you talked to that person? No, it's not a big deal. Are you sure? Because every time we talk, you're talking about it. There's probably offense in there and undealt with frustration, right? Offense likes to disguise itself in pride so that no matter what, you're, you're never wrong. So no matter what, it, they're never good enough. It doesn't matter what restoration would try to take place. It's never enough because pride has puffed us up because of the offense that is in there. So in a world full of offense, <laughs> how do we develop an unoffendable heart? I'm going to give you one thing, and this is the best thing I know to tell you. If you really want to develop an unoffendable heart, it's just a personal decision to refuse to be offended. It's just a decision that you make in your own life. I will refuse to be offended. I tell people all the time, like, you got to work harder than that to offend me. And that wasn't always the case in my life. But I had got to the point where I, had, I was at a fork in the road and, and anger was just coming out of me all the time to the point where people didn't want to be around me. And I had to get to the point where I refused to be offended. And so that's why I started saying it. You got, I will not be offended. You're going to have to work a lot harder than that. You're going to have to do a whole lot more to me than that to make me offended. I refuse to be offended. And if you are working on getting offense out of your life, I encourage you, steal that phrase. Start saying it for yourself. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our faith is released by the words we say. And so if you need to be in a, have an undefendable heart, then begin to speak it out of your mouth. I won't be offended. I refuse to be offended. It's a decision that we got to make. It's, I it will not be easy to offend me. Uh, before anything else, I choose to forgive. I, that's the position that I'm in. And in case we forget how to forgive, 
The best example is Jesus, who on the cross, dying, suffocating, said, as he's looking at the people who lied about him, beat him, betrayed him, pulled his beard out, whipped him, nailed him to the cross, Father, forgive them. Scripture says we should forgive one another as Christ forgave us. So how did Christ forgive you? Dying, bleeding on the cross with the crown of thorns on his head. Father, forgive them. That's how Christ forgave us. That's why I choose to forgive. Because my life has been forgiven of so much, like I can do nothing less than choose to forgive. Refuse to be offended. Anybody else with me? Come on, we're going to choose to forgive. Offense is a choice. So it, when offense is creeping up, you know, what conversations are you a part of? What friendships, relationships in your life are stirring up these feelings? What is it? Who is it that's trying to stir up this offense and try to convince you to hold on to it? Sometimes we just got to be able to step up and recognize so we can make some adjustments in our lives and refuse to be offended. You can choose offense or forgiveness. In this house, we choose forgiveness and refuse offense. Here's the next one. If we're going to develop a spirit of unity, we need an unoffendable heart. N stands for never give up. Look at your neighbor and say, never give up. I brought this quit button today. All of us got one. We all have a quit button. You can push it. The, the, the reality is if you keep your quit button around, you hide it in your pocket, you want to hide it behind something or whatever else, you keep your quit button available, the devil will find it and start trying to push it. Because he wants you to walk away from the calling of God. He wants you to walk away from the body of Christ. He wants you to be hurt and offended and, and never go back and think that's not for me. He wants you to be stuck in addiction. He wants you to be stuck in depression. He wants you to be stuck in discouragement and, and self-loathing and pity party and I'm not good enough and all of that kind of stuff. Self-imposed limitations. We can call it whatever we want. Whatever your drug of choice is, some people, their quit button is alcohol and they've had a rough day and I want to get home already and just take the edge off. I don't know what the edge is, but whatever that is, people want to take it off and they hit their quit button to escape or maybe it's you know they want to escape into the sports or the games or whatever it is or the pornography it's a quit button I just need to get away from all this everything is too overwhelming some people their quit button is anger and they don't want to have to deal with it so they can just blow up at any time they want and this is just how they are whatever it is we all have the quit button and it's, if we don't deal with it and destroy it it will always be available what I know is this is if a person has a plan B, at some point they will take it. If there's a way out, we're going to take it. You know, uh, there's a, it's just like in marriage. The best marriage advice I can give you is this. Don't say the D word. Divorce. Never say it. It's like it doesn't exist. It's not on the table. It's never an option. But people want their way out, right? In the church, the divorce rate is 50%. That's the Christians. I want my way out. I want to I wanna quit. And today I want to energize your faith that no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, we will not give up. We will not back away from our callings. We will not back away from our, 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 what, where God has planted us. We will not just uproot ourselves at any moment. When I feel hurt, when I feel discouraged, when I feel not good enough, I'm not going to pull the quit button out and, and start hitting it. And the reality is that so often we like to, we like to just keep it kind of close by, you know, like we want to hide it behind the Bible. 
so that it's still there, but I've got my word, but I've, I've got my just in case, you know, or, or that's, that's probably, too, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with my quit button, and I'm, I'm going to hide it over here by somebody else, and, and they're going to hold it to me until just in case when those people in my group, uh, you know, don't, whatever. We want to keep it close enough to us, but I believe that God wants us to bring us to the place where we demolish the quit button, Right? Let me read this to you in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5 says it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What does that mean? When Christ died on the cross, it was so that you could have freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from fear. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from depression. Freedom from worry. Freedom from lack. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from that thing the devil likes to use to pull you back in and make you feel like the worst person ever. Like you're not worthy and not good enough or whatever. Christ died, suffered so that you could have freedom. It is for freedom. It isn't for your quit button that Christ died. It isn't so that you could keep this around. It is so that by the power of Christ in you, the same power that raised Christ dead, beaten, mutilated, body out of that grave that's working in you right now so that you could destroy and demolish everything that's trying to get you to back off. 2 Corinthians 10 says God has given us spiritual weapons that are mighty, that are powerful. He says to destroy, to demolish strongholds. To destroy and demolish the things the devil is using to try to get you to back away from your calling. To try to get you to back away from being connected and part of the body of Christ. It's time to demolish some strongholds. This is a sledgehammer. Anybody ever seen one of these before? I'm so excited right now. I feel power. But see, the reality is that some of us, we just want to keep it right there, the just in case. But God didn't call us for that. God called us to demolish some quit buttons, some strongholds. And I'm just here to find out today who's ready to demolish some strongholds. Who's ready to pick up some of the weapons that God has given you to get some of this out of your life so that you could live in freedom. He says, stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by that yoke of that quit button. Back into slavery to that thing that's saying you need me to make it. No, you need Jesus and that's all you need. If that's all you have, you have everything. But it's not going to be easy. He says, you got to stand firm. You're going to have to do something to never quit. You're going to have to stand when it hurts. You're going to have to refuse to give up and never go back to that thing. Come on. And you don't have to do it alone. You can do it by the power of God that's inside of you. You're not in this alone. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, he says, don't become weary in doing good. So when you're demolishing that quit button, he says, don't get weary. He says, I know there will be days when you feel tired. I know there will be moments when you're ready to just give up and it's shouting at you. It's too much for you. Throw in the towel. It's not worth it. Nobody cares anyway. It's not going to hurt anybody. You'll be fine. Just quit. Just back off. Just lay off. It's no big deal. It is a big deal when you're changing your vocabulary and you've been cursing and God has been working on your heart so that you can speak life instead of cursing. It's a big deal because your kids are listening. Your family is listening. Your future is hanging in the balance of the words coming out of your mouth and the devil would love for you to back off of it. But it's a big deal. And I'm just wondering who brought some sledgehammers with them to church today. Oh, there's still a piece left? Let's go. He says this. He says, when you become weary, when you're doing good, when you're destroying that button, he says, don't give up. He says, for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. 
Some of us haven't seen harvest because we've been hitting that give up button. And now God is saying, hey, there is harvest coming, but don't give up. I know you feel tired, but that's why I put you in the body. That's why I created groups for you to be connected. I put other people around so that you could experience the fullness of God, so that you could have the harvest come your way. Don't give up. Let's don't give up. I see them coming to help fix the microphone. Praise the Lord. Here's the next one. The next part of unity is I, integrity. We need an unoffendable heart. We need to never give up, and we need integrity. Sorry I broke the microphone, Casey. Give it up for my friend Casey. Does a great job leading our production team. So thankful for you, Casey. Casey has been around. Praise him. Casey has been part of Victory since the very beginning. I think the very second interest meeting. Isn't that right? Praise the Lord. We're thankful for you, Casey. Come on, we can give a bigger hand than that. Integrity. The dictionary defines integrity this way. The quality of being honest and having some strong moral principles. Moral uprightness. See, in our world, integrity and honesty matter. It matters a whole lot. It's going to be incredibly hard to unify together in the body of Christ if we don't know what's true and false. It's going to be incredibly hard to have a spirit of unity if, we, if there's a lack of integrity and we can never really trust each other enough to know if, if you think the best of me or not or if you're talking about me behind my back or any of that. Let me say it this way. A partial truth is a full lie. A stretched truth is a full lie. A little lie, whatever color lie you want to say, is still a full lie. There's no truth in it. If it's not complete and honest truth, it's, all, it's no truth at all. Proverbs 12, says, The Lord hates, detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. One version says he delights in people who have integrity, who are honest, who are truthful. See, a, a lack of integrity produces double-mindedness in a person's life. Double-mindedness is, is the lie of believing that I can do and think what I want and still expect God to do everything, he, all of his part. Like, I still want all of you, God, but I'm going to operate my own way. I believe both are true. It's double-mindedness. And, and when there's a lack of integrity, that's what it produces in a person's life because it's the person who says, oh, I believe God is my provider, but they never give. Is double-minded. They believe both. I can, I can, I can figure it out, and, and then God, you better bless me. It's a double-minded thing. It's it's the person who is just you know living living the way they want and just trying to keep things above board so everything's okay. It's a double-minded thing, and, and God hasn't called us to live that way. Double-mindedness, Scripture says, actually produces instability in every area of our lives. Proverbs eleven three says it this way: the integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity, by double-mindedness. Again, New Testament, James 1.8. A double-minded person is unstable in everything. Instability. Integrity is shown not by how great my, my life looks on the outside, but how deep my roots go. It's integrity. How deep my roots get when I'm in God's presence, when I'm reading the word, when I give, when I'm serving. My integrity shows when I do what I said I would do. It's integrity. Integrity shows when I'm alone and by myself that I'm the same as when I'm up here and in front of people. It's integrity. We need it. It matters a whole lot. You know, I, I think rather than looking to success as, you know, having millions of dollars and thousands of followers or whatever, how about success in God's eyes looks like going the distance? 
with integrity. Come on. We've, we've seen enough scandals in the news. And the world is looking for that. And they will magnify it when it happens. That's why we refuse to walk in anything but integrity. We're going to have uprightness in what we do. We are going to go the distance. Our families, our children, our grandchildren are going to go the distance. Our marriages are going to go the distance. Our ministry, our lives, our church is going to go the distance. I love what Psalms 15 says. The writer is asking a question. He says, Lord, who can dwell in your house? God, who, who can go the distance? God, who can, who can leave this earth and be in your presence and, and be with you forever? It's a good question to know the answer to. Uh, he gives several answers in the chapter. One that he says in verse 4, the answer is, he says, The Lord, the one who can dwell in your house is the one who keeps his oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. It's integrity. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to be there. I'm not going to cut out early. I'm not going to be late. I'm going to be on time. And I'm going to do my best while I'm there. Why? Because I am a person of integrity. I'm going to develop integrity and, and grow in that. Integrity and character, listen, will be the thing that sustains you in your calling and whatever it is that God has called you to do. Without integrity and character, you will fall. Integrity and character sustains us. Here's the next one. Unity, the letter T, trusting God. Trusting God. Trusting God. It's so easy to get fixated and wrapped up in, in getting more education and all the wisdom this world has to offer. And it's great. I encourage you, get smarter. Grow. Learn all you can. You know, the Bible even talks about that. He says, he says but be careful. In all of your getting, in all of your learning, get godly wisdom. Get understanding of the scripture. Like, there's some things that are good, but there's some things that are better. And learning to, to go beyond the things that are explainable and make sense is better. See, the wisdom of this world and everything that it can teach you is, is only the things that are explainable and make sense. But when we begin to grow in the place where we're learning to trust God and you're stepping out in faith, not everything's explainable and doesn't always make sense. But it's in that place where we begin to grow, where we begin to live in unity. Like, um, uh, you know, there's education and all that, the things of this world, it will produce something in our lives. But when we begin to grow in wisdom that God has for us, when we can begin to trust God beyond just what is naturally happening to us, that will produce something in our lives. It will produce joy and peace and purpose and kindness and goodness and faith and grace. And it will create deep roots in us. And that's, this is really what trust really boils down to, I believe, is, is just about, about who's going to get the glory for my life. Who's going to get the, the, the outcome of my life? Is it going to be me and look what I did? Look what I built? Look how good my life is and how smart I am? Or is it going to be everything was from him? I love what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. So trust in the Lord with, with all your heart. Trust and lean. What are you doing when you're leaning on something? You're putting your weight on it. When you lean on, a, on something, you're putting weight on it to support you, to hold you up. So what in your life are you putting weight on to hold you up? What are you leaning on? What are you depending on? When you hear the reports about the economy, what are you leaning on? When you get the call from the doctor, what are you leaning on? Whose report will you believe? You can lean on some things, 
But if you want to not fall down, if you want something that can hold you up, we've got to place our weight, he says right here. Don't lean on what you can explain and what makes sense. We've got to lean on something deeper. We've got to learn to trust God in the places where, you know, there's the voices of past hurts. We've got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to put more weight on the word of God than what's in our thoughts and, and what are the voices of friends in us, right? We've got to learn to put weight on those things. And I know it's easy to say and harder to do. So how do we learn to do this? In the next verse he tells us, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So if we want to trust God in a deeper way, he's saying we got to learn to submit to him. Another translation says, acknowledge him in all your ways. In other words, give him the credit. Give him the glory. Your life and the sum of who you are is not all about you. It's all about him. Scripture says, in him we live move and have our being you take him out we have nothing we're gone in him the sum of our lives the the credit the glory of our lives is him and if we can learn to acknowledge him submit to him in everything says there he will make our path straight he will provide everything that we do right you can always tell how submitted a person is by how quick they are to obey when god speaks Right? Because when you understand my life is for him and he asked me to do something, then it's no problem when I'm submitted to him because it's all about him anyways. So whether I fail or succeed, he gets the glory. But when it's about me and God speaks to me to do something that doesn't make sense and can't be explained, then it comes a little bit harder to submit because it's about me. Well, what if people think I messed up? What if people think I'm not good enough? And subtly and quietly we slip into this place where then we start making fear-based decisions rather than faith-based decisions. And we've got to grow in this ability to be able to trust God. You can tell how submitted a person is to the Spirit of God when the answer is no. When, you know, we didn't, the timing wasn't what we expected it to be. This is my prayer for us today that we'd begin to trust God with all the places of our heart, with all of our heart, with all of our doubts, with all of our thoughts, with all of the places where we've been hiding our quit buttons, with all of the, the pride that's had root in our lives, with all the places where we don't see solutions or way outs. Uh, my prayer is that we would learn to stop leaning on our own understanding and learn to let our roots grow down so that we could trust God in deeper ways and say, God, no matter what, I know you're good and you're in control, so thank you for moving through my life. Here's the last one today, unity. An unoffendable heart. Never give up. Integrity. Trusting God. And Y stands for yield. Yield. This word, when you look it up, it has two meanings. The first word for yield is to submit. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of like when you're in traffic and you have that yield sign. What does it mean? It means allow the other person, give preference to the other car to go before you go your way. Yield. To submit your will, your, your decision process to someone else. But the other definition means to grow and produce fruit. Like a tree will yield fruit. An apple tree will yield apples. And it's this whole idea right here. And as I was reading that, I was like, man, these two really go together. I know my own life when I'm submitted to God, when I yield my will to God, it just causes me to grow and fruit is produced. It's this place of yielding. And I, I think the best example of this is Jesus in the garden. Moments before he's about to go to the cross and rescue humanity, he's there in the garden 
And he's at this yield place, you know, where he's saying, God, can we do this another way? He must have known what was about to happen. He must have known the torment he was about to experience. And he's saying, God, I want to do your will, but is there another way that we can do this? But then he shows us the yield moment of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. What do you want for my life? We'll do it your way, not my way. And I want you to see it was that yield moment of Jesus that produced the fruit of you and me. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be made new. We would be dead in sin. We would be lost if Jesus hadn't yielded in that moment. I've got to understand the power of this for our lives, that when we're willing to yield to him in a moment, to say, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense, but what do you have for me? What do you want for my life? I know when we set to move here to Orlando, um, it didn't make a lot of sense because where we were living in Tulsa, the season that we were in, oh, we were, it was good. Things were good. We had friends, the best group of friends we had ever had in our lives. I was working at a job, best pay I'd ever gotten in my life. Our daughter was in a great school, all these things. And then God speaks. He says, go to the city where you don't know anybody. And uh, I want you to go and help start this church. And you don't know what's going to happen there. And long story short, man, we, we had to get ourselves to the place where we said, God, not my will, but your will be done. We had to walk away from some good things to walk into purpose, to see the fruit of where God is bringing our church today. And I'm just telling you, it's not, it's not I'm not sharing that to, to brag or anything, but just, just to build your faith today that there will be yield moments. There will be significant moments where God brings you to to say, hey, I'm calling your life in this direction and it's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some things. But there's other yield moments that take place every morning. There's other yield moments that take place in every conversation. There's other yield moments that take place when there's, when there's strife trying to creep in between me and my spouse. There's yield moments that says I would rather have unity than win the argument. There's yield moments so that fruit can be produced because the reality is the fruit that's produced is not just for my now, but for my life, my family, and generations to come. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.